Welcome to Conversations from the Edge of Consciousness. I'm your host, Christine Madeira. For me, and possibly for you, the inner world of consciousness has always been much more real and way more fun than the so-called real material world. Growing up, I thought I was alone in this, but I'm not. There are a lot of us, and far too many have no one to talk to who shares this experience. I've been lucky to cultivate a community of friends who love to talk about the energies, ideas, and vibrations that are pushing the edges of our own consciousness, as well as our collective consciousness. In Conversations from the Edge, we share our conversations with you. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge. This is your host, Christine Madeira, and I'm here today with Miche Meisner, and I always have such fun talking with Miche, but I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more. What do you want us to know about you? And thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Christine. I love our conversations. So yeah, my name is Miche Meisner, and I run the Spoonbenders Cafe on Facebook, which is a virtual space, which is no news these days, right? Uh, I'm a healer, mentor, and a coach, mostly focusing on self-love and superpowers. So you can be the youest you that you came here to be. And, Sounds uh, great. All right. So we're going to jump into, uh, we had actually started a conversation just for us before we started recording and decided to just start recording this conversation and see what happens. So saying you were telling about how everything is going really well, except at night you lay in bed and you think, what is the point or something along those lines. So can you explain that? And then we can go and talk about that. Cause I think that's really something that everybody's grappling with right now. Yeah. And it just, it was so stark when you just earlier asked me, you know, how am I doing? And I said, I'm great. And I, when I said, I'm great. I thought about all the things that I'm feeling good about and accomplished about and connecting with people and all of the, yummy sort of stuff in my life and then I flashed on except that at night as I'm lying in bed at the end of the day even when it's a pretty good day I just find myself feeling like I don't know like it, it all of this whatever this is in that moment is just never ending and what is the point really and how um I don't know sometimes it's like this is a drop in a bucket whatever I can do it's just a drop in the bucket. And so it's never going to end. and It's never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And there's just some sense of despair, just despair and, and being dissatisfied in myself. I think it's not even so much dissatisfied with my life. I'm having a pretty good life, but some really deep kind of dissatisfaction and discomfort, just still not right being here. Okay, so there's a lot of ways we can go with this, and hopefully we can cycle back into some various threads, but I was actually doing some writing on something really similar to this recently, and it was about the human, like the common human core wound of insufficiency, not enoughness, um, and that, that pervasive feeling that we are in and of ourselves lack and insufficient and not enough. And it sets up a whole life 
of trying to get the approval from other people, trying to get our own self-approval. Uh, we end up giving away our authority because you know we're trying to get approval so that we can be enough. It's this vicious cycle of not enoughness. And the thing about it is when I was writing about it was the awareness that it's really not personal. And yet every single one of us experiences that in some form or another. So I'm going to toss that back out to you and um, just let's chat about that a little bit because I think as we're moving forward, a lot of the stuff that's coming up is coming up not just for us personally, but the collective um, shadow that we all personally experience and yet is part of our whole collective experience at the same time up to be transformed. Wow. Yeah, well, there's a few mouthfuls. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, when you're talking, I'm listening to you, it, it just sets off this whole sort of cavalcade, cavalcade, cascade, I don't know, whatever. of, um, you know, connection points and ideas and whatever. I never know which where, where to start. But the last, uh, I'll start where you sort of ended with this being kind of a collective experience, which reminded me of a fellow named... I want to say Joel Young, I'm going to have to check, double check, but he teaches about non-personal awareness and the idea that so much of what any one of us are is feeling at any given moment isn't really ours. He's got this very simple exercise where he says, um, uh, just where you sort of repeat this, this whatever, let's say this despair that I'm feeling isn't mine. Uh, you know, you sort of repeat that and just sort of sit with that a little bit. And then, um, but I'm willing to experience it anyway. So you're mm -hmm. sort of disowning it, right? That's like this despair that I feel at night, perhaps it isn't mine at all. Mm -hmm. Personally, maybe I have finally uh, transcended it or outgrown it or something. And perhaps I am experiencing on behalf of our collective consciousness, right? Some of that as our, not just me, as are many of us. And mm -hmm. it's different to experience it from that point of view and it just be like, okay, I'm, I'm somehow a vehicle or a conduit for this emotion or energy that wants to express itself and it is expressing itself through me rather than taking it very personal and feeling that if this is what I'm feeling or thinking, something is wrong with me or something's mm -hmm. wrong with my life. And therefore, either I sit and stew on it or I need to change my life or whatever the response to that is, right? But yeah. it's pretty different to, to, to feel it's coming through me or it is me. So well, yeah, absolutely. And that, and I think like, for me, there's sort of a, a, a point where those come together in a little bit different way. So to me, I, you know, there's this collective idea of insufficiency and I am not enoughness. And I actually like to go down a rabbit hole just a little tiny bit um, before, or before I jump into the other part, is a friend of mine asked me to be like a wise woman writer for her daughter. She was giving her 10-year-old who is a lovely, beautiful girl and so insightful and heart-connected and magical and is, is turning 10, which is that, that time where 
girls in particular, but everybody really loses touch with that deeper magic in themselves and begins to take on this collective story of not enoughness, this collective wound of not enoughness. And everybody experiences it their own way. So whatever our particular story is about that. So some people like their nose is too big or their hips are too big or they're not tall enough or they're not pretty enough or, you know, it's always some story of not enoughness. Usually there's some kind of family not enoughness. There's the whole, um, you know, advertising industry that is, telling us how we're not enough and how we can pay money to be enough. And, and there's the, this whole collective experience of not enoughness and insufficiency that we each personalize in our own way. And yeah. so I think we can experience the, how we've personalized not enoughness because it does create like nervous system issues when we personalize that these universal energies in our own way. And I also think when it's coming up, you know, personally, when we begin to experience it and allow ourselves to experience it and transform it, we're not just transforming it for us. We are also transforming our collective baggage around that particular thing. So as you are feeling not enough and you release not enoughness and bring in whatever it is that's enough for you or the feeling of, of all is well or whatever, that that kind of it's like a little drop taken out of the ocean of not enoughness for all of us and a little drop added to what the transformation of that would be in, in us collectively and also individually so that we can individually, as we do our own inner work, you know, it, it goes beyond what I do for me or what you do for you. Like as we do that, we shift this collective pot of universal core woundedness um, to whatever is next and a non-woundedness or a, a holism or a wholeness or whatever that happens to be. So I like what you said about what this guy says, but I, I had a little different flavor on it because I think that we still personalize the universal energies. Well, yes. Um, I completely agree with the, the whole notion that as we each are liberating some wound or experience that is personal whether it started you know with us or whether it's what's coming through that we are alleviating it on the whole as well and uh, there have been times where I was uh, running groups where we were doing that kind of growth work and transformation and you could feel it as one person went through whatever process we were doing mm -hmm. and you know and the the burden of of it the energy of that trauma or whatever was lifting the whole room lifted and mm -hmm. because even if that's not our particular story or the script or you know the storyline for for me we we do on some level i think hold we hold the whole of it mm -hmm. and it expresses in different parts individually and yet we are we're part of the whole and and we do have it and i think i like the idea of it, the sense of it being in our nervous system which then mm -hmm. is also in our in how we perceive things and how we express ourselves and it doesn't even have to be something that you personally went through or witnessed we're holding right the collective unconscious and well, and we all have something to attach to whatever that happens to be, whether it's despair or one of the big common ones uh, that's really up right now is the, the victim 
you know, victim consciousness. And there are certainly places that we can point to where there is no question on any scale that this group of people or this individual or this particular, you know, demographic has been victimized. Mm -hmm. But everybody has experienced what it is to be a victim. And so whether yours came from the fact that, you know, your sibling got their ice cream cone first and somehow that tapped you into the victim energy or the fact that you, you know, were raped and that tapped into your victim energy or that the group that you associate with, you know, is part of and has been perpetually a victim. And, you know, we all have these various kinds of, experiences and expressions around that but the energy underneath it that's attached to whatever the experience is is the same energy and actually in some ways if we can connect around that sense that we have all experienced this and then move together collectively from the experience of victimization to the to being free from that as opposed to pointing to one another and saying well my victim is you know my experience of being a victim is more valid than your experience of being a victim is more valid than your experience of being a victim and or that we all just the people who are in particular groups together who have been victimized in the same way you know wallow in it or in some other way continue to perpetuate Um, that victim identity so that the identity of being a victim just holds that energy in in place and all of the, you know, other energies that get attached to that um, get held in place as well. So to me, I think if we can begin to one depersonalize the, 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 our, depersonalize our collective wounds and then begin to recognize that we all have, experience these and how can we then begin to move to a place where uh, we don't have to continue to perpetuate them and you know stay in our story of them and we can begin to transform them as a collective so we can have a different experience of life on this planet wow yes i am thinking as you talk about that the people who have had uh victim experiences and again you know like you said as as small or incidental as you know somebody getting the first ice cream cone or yours falls on the ground you don't get another one or whatever Mm -hmm. it is um there are those of us who uh stay in the the theme of of being a victim and and, you know and yes there are i mean it's not all made up but that's where yeah right and then surely the group who takes that victimhood experience and then turns it against other people and continues to be a perpetrator in order to stay out of the energy or the feeling of that victim victim experience. And so Mm -hmm. what if people, children, were taught to be with their feelings when they come Mm -hmm. up, as they come up, right? And then to express them and also thereby defuse them and go on without carrying the wound on and yeah. on. And it's quite, you know, it's a big task. What uh, well, is because who are they going to learn that from? Because most, most adults don't do this very well either, right. but it is that there's that saying that, you know, feelings are not facts. And 
you know, that can be used against people because what you're feeling is certainly valid to what you're feeling and you should never just shut something down because it's somebody says you don't have a right to have that feeling. But to remember that what you're feeling in the moment is really a, um, it's like a nervous system response based on triggers that are in the subconscious versus the reality of the moment in a larger perspective. Like you might feel, you might get triggered with despair or with victim or like you at night, you know, when the mind gets a little restless because you're falling asleep and it just goes to old programming and things saying, you know, is this ever going to be enough? And all of these kinds of other stories around this and, and energies around this. But instead of making that reality, that making it truth to recognize, oh, okay, this is, this is a feeling that's rising up. And I can work with the feeling and I can let go of the feeling, but I don't need to make the story around the feeling the truth. Right. And sometimes we have a feeling and there is no story around yeah. it. And we... So we make it up. Yeah. Or attach it to something. <laughs> you know, and... That's, and that, that, that's a great, great... Uh, point sorry to jump in you should should let you explain that but the um i do that i would find myself like i'd have a feeling and i would try to find like what's what's causing this feeling what do i attach this feeling to oh i'm feeling this way something must there's a disturbance in the force you know something must be happening to cause this feeling versus like you at night nothing's causing that feeling it's simply something that's rising in the moment and because um, that's what the mind does mm-hmm. right yeah i've also been having moments of grief that mm-hmm. feel like if i were to follow the feelings not the story just the feelings that it could go like a root almost going down deeply you know through mm-hmm. my through my center and the tendency is to want to see what it's about and, yeah. and assume that it, it is about me or I'm remembering something, I'm feeling badly about something or whatever. And at the same time, I recognize that often the feelings that are coming up, they are just feelings. I can find <laughs> stories to put on them. Sure. And uh, it changes it then. And if the, if the, the point, quote unquote, is Mm -hmm. about experiencing it about allowing it to come through then forcing some story on it is going to change it contain it turn it in a different direction or whatever rather than just simply allowing it and allowing myself to experience it and express it however it feels in that moment rather than pull it off somewhere by saying, oh, that's about this relationship or it's about this place I lived that I miss or whatever it is. Yeah, because that story oftentimes what happens when we get trapped in the story, I used to work with this with clients a lot and it's hard not to go into a story or try to attach a story to something. But when when an emotion rises, it's really, it's like this biochemical reaction in the body if you let it rise you experience it without feeding it with a story because if we find the story then we feed the emotion and we don't let it then release then we just add to it by by remembering the story perpetuating the story you know amping up the the emotion in the body 
And then, because we generally don't complete the story or resolve the story, we just dredge it up and like remember the story and play it all over again. Um, and this, yeah, and the story actually gets in the way of the resolution. Now, sometimes story will trigger something and then you're able to experience it. And if you can let go of not, then let go of the need to perpetuate the story or, or go deep into it or you know, find the rightness and wrongness of it and relive it and amp up the emotion, then that trigger can actually allow that to happen and resolve in your nervous system. So both the story, like the story might be there, but then there's no, there's no um, energy in the story. So it can just be, yeah, this happened. And like, you know, it's over. It happened. Uh, versus this happened. And every time I come across something similar to this, I feel like, you know, I feel despair, or I feel grief, or I feel wrong, or I feel mad, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, so it's wonderful to be able to defuse stories and also release the emotion in the, in the chemistry of the emotion from your body and nervous system, free from attaching it to a story. Uh, that brings to mind when, when we're habitually having an experience, an emotional experience. I was just thinking that Candace Pert who was, mm -hmm. what, a neurobiologist, I believe? The one who discovered that we have neuropeptides yes. in our stomach. And that, uh, so for one thing, that we actually do have feelings in our stomach because they're the same mm -hmm. chemicals that go on in our brains as well that tell us what we're feeling or have give us an experience of feeling. And that when we are continually, say, angry or in grief, the receptors for those neuropeptides actually start to maybe some parts of them atrophy, some parts of them strengthen so that there are more receptors available for those emotions, those peptides mm -hmm. than there are for other emotions. And so as the whole, like you were saying, the, the biochemical and the cascade of the chemistry is skewed at that point. And so even more so, we need to express it and let it go rather than mm -hmm. keep almost feeding uh, those molecules of emotion. That's she's, I think she, that was her book that she wrote. Yeah. Emotion. Um, you know, keep feeding that for what it is sort of hungry for from habit and instead start introducing more of other emotions as well. Yeah, and I'm not sure if she was the one that talked about this, but I know that and I've talked about this and other people have talked about this, that you can get addicted to your own biochemistry. And so if you're used to anger and particularly like if you're used to the, not just the adrenaline of anger, but the cortisol of anger. So there's like, there's the anger that, you know, when you lose, when you just lose it and you've got that adrenaline and you're freaking out and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's its own kind of anger and people can get addicted to that adrenaline as well. Um, it's very depleting to the body to do that. But a lot of people get addicted to this, the lower level stress and the addicted to whether it's, you know, watching the news and getting angry at what's happening in the world. There's a particular person that comes to mind and they stay angry at them. And the addiction is not necessarily to the emotion, but to the biochemistry because mm -hmm. of all of the, the um, receptor points. But also, you know, what I talk about with people is when you're addicted to emotions that release cortisol 
that oftentimes you know our bodies tend to be depleted over time if we over if we're in too much taxing emotions so too much anger too much grief too much sadness without the balancing emotions of uh, more buoyant and more feeding and nourishing of the nervous system but when you're addicted to um, emotions that are that trigger cortisol it's a way to give yourself energy throughout the day uh, that's kind of become a just a coping mechanism because so often we have created such stressful lives that we're always in this place of depletion. And one way that you get energy is through cortisol and then through adrenaline. So if you're juicing your own immune system or juicing sorry, your own stress system so that you have the biochemical energy to get through your day, you know, it feels like you have that energy, but you're actually, you know, the tax on your body, the cost to your system from doing that is really extreme. And this, over time, I mean, that's one of, in my view, one of the main um, contributors to chronic illness is the, the chronic stress response that depletes your body's um, resource system so that you just don't have the resources to be able to maintain immunity or to be able to bounce back for, um, from emotional and physical things or from an illness or things like that. You just, your body becomes depleted. And um, the more you use stress emotions and stressful biochemistry and stress responses to artificially give yourself energy, even if it's unconscious, like I'll say that uh, the most <laughs> the most abused like self-administered drug is cortisol because we do it naturally. We just learn how to do it to juice ourselves up. But the more we do that, the the bigger tax we have long term on the body. Um, as far as health and immunity. So that's one of those things that, that we just do without thinking about it. And that when you begin to break that chain of using stress to power your own body system and give yourself energy, you almost it's almost like a crash because you have to start developing those receptor sites for the emotions and the biochemistry of those emotions that actually support health and support rebuilding resources and support the parasympathetic nervous system. So things like contentment, uh, things like love, things like compassion and gratitude and appreciation, which actually have a very powerful biochemical response in the body that helps to heal and restore the body's natural health, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And if our bodies are craving that kind of chemical reaction and our anger, our story about, you know, how we grew up or our story about our coworker or whatever it is that we get either miffed at or just outright furious about. There's almost mm -hmm. a way that our body is conspiring with our mind to keep those <laughs> stories going. Yes. It's how you get your drug then. Yeah, it is. It's a self-administered drug. Yeah. Um, so for you, like if you're laying in bed at night, let's get back to that for a moment. Um, as you're laying in bed at night and you are experiencing this, what do you do so that you're coming? Like, what do you do? I don't know what you do with it. So tell me what you do. Right. Well, lately, I think what I do more than anything is um, acknowledge the the thoughts that are coming up and 
Uh, well, what I had sort of an epiphany the other day that um, when, if you're coming from awareness, meaning mm -hmm. your, your greater mind, your, your, uh, your consciousness instead of your ego, um, my consciousness, my awareness doesn't have any of those feelings or thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's more of a neutral observer or maybe an experiencer without the whole why and wherefore. And so if my goal in life is to be more present from awareness than from my ego personality, it occurred to me the other day that whatever I'm saying to myself in those ways, all of that is personality. And so mm -hmm. in, in that model, my awareness can just sort of override it and say, okay, I get it. You're having those thoughts and feelings and um, you know, that's all ego based and I'm going to, I'm going to take a, much bigger broader view or i'm gonna observe it and not buy into it uh so that's one but that that one is hard hard to step into especially when you're <laughs> feeling like suddenly flooded with some emotion yeah um, through my years of having depression and dealing with it in a similar but not quite so heady or awareness spiritual sort of way there are times where I can say sort of, oh, it's you again. I recognize you because I know where those thoughts go. If I let them keep going mm -hmm. down the hall and out in the yard and up the tree and whatever. And it's down it's, the rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. Down the rabbit hole. And if instead, again, I just, I see it and sometimes I'll just turn away from it. So honestly, sometimes it's about, you know, playing some video game for a little while while I quiet my mind or it's about reading something or listening uh, to uh, something uplifting or something spiritual uh, to just take my, to busy my brain, but, but to feed yeah. it, you know. And to break that chain, to break that yeah. biochemical chain. Yeah. And to make a decision, not always consciously, but uh, connected with that idea of, oh, it's you again. Mm -hmm. Just because those thoughts or feelings are coming up does not mean that I have to engage with them, debate them, feed them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to invite them into my house and say, here, have, have a seat, you know, on the couch. <laughs> Let me get you some popcorn and let's discuss this, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Say, you know, no, thank you. I, I see you like I don't really want to uh, be in the company of you. Some of the despair that comes up sometimes is that even though I have these various tools and these practices and these ways to uh, disengage or rise above or however you want to see it, that darn thing just keeps coming back. And there's this feeling of when will I ever be rid of you? And I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> well, you know, when the personality or ego or whatever tries to solve the problem, there's never, like, that's our, isn't that our never ending game, right? All of these things, these old stories that come up that are, that we've personalized the universal energies of, or they're, I guess it's not universal, but personalized our human collective um, experience of, and then our mind begins to try to solve the problem. And so when is it going to get done? Okay, I can do this, and then I can do this, and then I can do this, and I'll use this, and I'll use this, and, and then it becomes kind of its own mind spiral. So for me, when I, when I get in this, and I get these as well, and oftentimes at night, not so much as I'm falling asleep, but if I wake up in the night, like, and you don't really have 
control over your mind or full awareness to the old programs just run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They start going and stuff. So one of the things I do is I have, is I I recognize that that it's, I'm having an experience and I can attach all kinds of stuff to the experience. Um, But it really, it's not a truth. It's, it's just, it's something that's happening. It's a feeling that I have. I can really, I can argue both sides of it, why it's true and why it's not true. So it's not fundamentally true if I can argue the other side. So I go through a little bit of rational thought if I'm awake enough to do that. And then for me, I just soften into the emotion or the energy. And I've done this for, for years. And I actually did a meditation on this recently, this wholeness meditation. I think it's the second one in this series on this podcast so if you're looking for it there's a meditation on how to do this but to allow myself to just feel it and let the biochemistry of it run separate from any other story that i have and for me what that comes down to is really softening into the energy so i'm not resisting it i'm not turning it off i'm not adding a story my mind is quiet and I just pay attention to how it's feeling in my body because I'm a very kinesthetic person. So I pay attention to how it feels in my body and I keep it out of my brain because as soon as it's in my brain, like, you know, that's all she wrote. But mm-hmm. if I can keep it, if I keep my mind quiet and just keep returning to the body sensations of it, and if it comes into my head, because I'll get them sometimes as brain sensations because you and I have talked about that right. and those are up. But I'll pay attention to the sensation of it without naming it as an emotion, without trying to, you know, get a handle on what it is or what it means or why it came up, but just ride the sensation and let it, it's kind of like a wave, like it starts and then it rises up and it gets really uncomfortable because if you don't, if you don't do anything with it, it just kind of it's like its own little steamroller and it gets very uncomfortable like the peak of a wave, but if you don't feed it and you don't try to change it, you don't tell a story about it, you don't try to fix it, you just let it run its own life cycle that I have found that most of the time then like the the chemistry dissipates and you can be in this place, like it leaves you in a place of sometimes it's peace, sometimes it's just kind of a quietness, sometimes it's, you know, a little bit of a a cavern if it was a big emotion and I fill it with love or something. I find that if I do that, and sometimes things are layered, like it'll be three or four or five times that I'll go through something. But if I can stay with it, then it releases and it leaves this deep peacefulness. And of course, I could tell a story about the peacefulness, but I know that the story is just a story anyway. And so I just stay with that place of peacefulness and allow that to be. Um, and that's one of the things that has worked really well for me. That's great. I will definitely look up your meditation on the podcast. And I re- recommend everyone else uh, do that too and see what they can get from that. It reminded me of an experience that I had last summer where I was stepping into a very cold creek. Mm-hmm. And my first, I had sensations in my leg and my mind said, this is really cold. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me or to wonder what would it be like if I didn't name it as this mm-hmm. is cold, because if I'm cold, there's a story 
or many mm-hmm. stories that could go about cold. Well, you're cold, you should get out. You should, you know, don't get too cold, whatever. <laughs> and if it was, yeah. I was having a sensation and how would that change my perception and my experience of it if I, like you were saying with the emotion, I just stayed with it and experienced it without telling a story about it, without trying to manipulate it or quantify it even and just, oh, I'm, I'm noticing something. I'm noticing sensation in my yeah. legs. I, and maybe I wouldn't even focus on what would normally be, you know, what I would say it's cold. Maybe I would be noticing something entirely else. Like what am I missing about Ooh. my moment and my experience by focusing on these things that grab your attention or that I name and have a story about? Well, and that whole idea that if you're cold, then there's a warm, like there's a contrast, there's a polarity, mm-hmm. as opposed to just allowing it be an, to be an experience. Because when you compare it to something, then then that just trots off the, the mind because the mind loves comparison. But I love that, that awareness that you had. And also there's the piece of that too, that, you know, oftentimes if it's really cold, it's not very comfortable. But if you can be with a sensation and allow yourself to just experience it without even necessarily naming the discomfort, but getting comfortable with the idea that discomfort is just, you know, it's just, it just is. It's not something you have to change. It's not something you have to fix. You can experience it. And the more you can experience discomfort in something like that or with a particular emotion as you're experiencing it, the easier it is to navigate life because life is full of uncomfortable moments. Mm-hmm. And there was this, I forget, I was, I'm sure it was on YouTube, but some guy, and there's probably a book, but I don't know what it is, was saying that you can learn to be comfortable with discomfort and achieve any goal. His was to achieve any goal. But basically the idea was if you can get uncomfortable with discomfort, then fear and discomfort will never stop you. And his, his way of doing that was to take cold showers as your shower every day for 30 days before you like or in the process of achieving a particular goal. Mm-hmm. Like you make that part of your practice is that you, you, t- you take cold showers. And I thought, hmm. So I tried it for a couple of days and I thought, well, okay, I can understand this. And then I went back to my regular <laughs> warm showers. But it did, it, it was instructive for the same reason. Like if I stopped naming the shower as cold and making it bad or wrong or uncomfortable for being cold and it was just, it just was what it was and it was quite exhilarating afterward. There was actually a nicer feeling after I was dried off and, and dressed from the cold shower than there is with a warm shower. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting as well. Uh, but that was one practice that he suggested to learn to become uncomfortable or learn to just, you know, cruise with discomfort and allow it to be what it is. Yeah. I think you're talking about Wim Hof. Uh, or maybe somebody who follows him. But so yeah, he teaches that he he's been known to sit in ice water for I don't know how long. Yeah, that seems a little extreme. They've also studied him, you know, in laboratories, and Uh his body can pretty much ward off just about anything that they could inject him with and throw at him. And so that's another thing too, is as we keep trying to protect ourselves, and shrink our experiences because we want to mm-hmm. stay in the comfort zone. What are we cutting ourselves off from that would be 
beneficial. That is about how our bodies are even meant to work or experience, right? Because we didn't come here with houses and central heating and air conditioning and all of that. So uh, there's maybe a good reason. Uh, yeah, well, and there's that whole idea of resiliency. And if everything is too comfortable all the time, you do become kind of brittle and fragile and snowflake-like and lack resiliency where if you have some some challenges and some hardship and, you know, we tend to think about those in terms of like sending kids to Boy Scout camp or something versus something like, or um, you know, taking cold showers, but physical adversity and emotional adversity and getting thwarted, learning to lose, learning what it feels like to lose, um, learning what it feels like to fail and not making those wrong, but just part of, of the process of learning resiliency of bouncing back when things are uncomfortable or you know hard does probably give us a really strong physical um, ability to ward off illness as well for the same reason that if our body's used to uh, being in hardship and bouncing back from that and becomes stronger right yeah makes sense and again as as each one of us learns to do those sorts of things, whatever's in front of, you know, I'm not saying everybody go out and take a cold shower, although it might be a good idea. But yeah. as we learn to not get swamped and sort of swallowed by our stories and our, and our habits, and we're liberating ourselves from that, like we were saying in the beginning, we're helping to liberate all beings from that. Yes. It's like that collective, the collective load, right? One big collective pile and every time we remove one rock of discomfort or of habit or of stuck, and I don't know where we move it, just transmute it into something else, then our pile is smaller, our load is lighter. And it decreases that pool of whatever that is so that it kind of turns the volume down globally. I agree. I believe that. That's why I, I lead a weekly meditation where the focus is on opening our hearts and being even more open and receptive to more love and also to sending it out and allowing it to just sort of stretch out to the world around us. Because I feel like whenever we're doing that on our own, it is helping us, of course, but it's also lightening the whole uh, global load. Perfect. So why don't you tell us how we can um, find out more about those meditations and anything else you want us to know about you before we wrap this conversation up? Yeah, great. Well, a lot of those uh, recordings of ones that I've done in the past uh, and other things that I talk about and teach, you can find on Facebook on my Spoonbenders Cafe Facebook page. I've just actually started doing the meditations on my personal page because more people get to see them and jump on and mm -hmm. so you can look me up at facebook at miche shines or miche meisner you will find me one way or another and just connect with me there and you'll be able to follow and are and participate in the different meditations i do and on different lives and experiencing these sort of things you know talking about uh how do we live with that how do we change this or whatever not you know here we're throwing all the ideas around and kicking out around the, the possibilities. I like to do some lives where I'm offering some simple, easy to implement tools and perspectives to help us change out of our habit and our perceptions. Perfect. And uh, Miche is spelled M-I-C-H-E. 
So you can find Miche Shines with M-I-C-H-E Shines under Facebook. Thank you so much, Miche. It's just been, it's been a really interesting conversation. As always, as ever. Thank you, Christine. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. This is your host, Christine Madera. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation from the edge of consciousness. You can find all our conversations at conversationsfromtheedge.net. You'll also find links to schedule a private conversation with me or any of my friends, as well as tools to help you expand your own consciousness and explore what's possible for you outside the boundaries of your current perceptions. Feel free to use this podcast to start your own conversation by sharing it with friends, on social media, in your blog, or even in your own podcast. And as always, live the adventure of pushing your own edge. It's the most amazing adventure there is.